the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Use some remarks by Vice President Pence as an excuse for calling off a planned summit between President Trump and dictator Kim Jong-un. On Wall Street this morning, Dow features up 21 points, and this is SRN News. So, if Jesus did not live at an impoverished level, then in what way did he become poor? The key to understand what Paul means is found in the phrase in verse 9, yet for your sake. Do you see that? Yet for your sake, he became poor. In other words, Christ's impoverishment had to do with our salvation because we benefited from him becoming poor. Jesus became poor in this sense when he laid aside the manner of his existence of being in the form of God and all of his possessions as God in order to become a man. In simplest terms, Christ became poor in the incarnation when God became a man. That's what Paul's referring to. So in human terms, Jesus was pretty middle class, at least in the economy of those times. But in divine terms... Oh, we can't even begin to imagine what he gave up in order to become our perfect sacrifice. Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our leader for these daily Bible studies. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Lately, we've been going verse by verse through 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In this chapter and in chapter 9, the Apostle Paul gave us a great treatise on generosity. And the greatest example of generosity there ever was took place when Jesus humbled himself and became a man in order to die on the cross for our sins. You cannot find a more extreme example of generous giving. So far in this three-part message, Pastor Steve has shown that we learned from chapter 8 how we should be generous because the Macedonians showed us a great example of generosity. Also, generosity is consistent with God's work of grace in our own lives. Generosity proves the sincerity of our love for others and because of Jesus' ultimate example in taking on human form. In our last broadcast, Pastor Steve emphasized the glory and wealth Jesus surrendered. Today, let's consider the poverty he took on and how his doing so benefits us. Here's Pastor Steve. The second aspect of Christ's generosity in relation to our salvation is this, the poverty of Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake... He became poor. From the exalted place of riches, he became poor. Paul tells us that none has ever been wealthier than Christ. None. Yet in becoming a man, Jesus became poor. And he said, he did it for you. He did it for me. Now, I want to make sure that we all understand what Paul is really saying here by Christ becoming poor, because there have been some who have used this verse to teach that Since Jesus was poor and homeless, then it would be wrong for any of his followers to have anything more than the bare necessities of life. You think, oh, that was taught by heretics, right? Not, No, not just heretics. 
there have been some very competent theologians who have taught that. Uh, none other than John Calvin himself in his commentary on 2 Corinthians holds to this. St. Augustine held to this. And in fact, I have, uh, I have a dear friend who has said something like this to, to me. How can you have anything when, when we need to give so much for missions? I don't believe a, a Christian should have any luxuries. So this is a, a popular, popular view that we sort of ought to all take a vow of poverty. And uh, if we're really dedicated to Christ, we'll have no luxuries and no comforts. We just live an austere, materialistically simple lifestyle. And we would shun anything beyond our basic needs as worldly. I need to tell you this, that those who, who hold to this, the advocates of poverty, most of the time are quite judgmental, quite judgmental and self-righteous towards believers who do have luxuries. They look down upon those who, who do, and they tend to be proud. And uh, they're proud of what? Proud of their own frugality. Frugality then becomes a mark of spirituality. Yet the Bible doesn't say anything like that. This verse isn't talking about that. It's important that we do understand what Paul meant. What, what did he mean in Jesus becoming poor? Paul says, yet for your sake, he became poor. I want you to understand Jesus did not live at the level of poverty. Jesus would not have been considered in his day even a poor person. He was not on the lowest economic ladder of his society. Now, how do we know this? And, I, and I'm sure many of you have been taught that Jesus was homeless and, and poor, and that, that's not true. We do know he was not born into a wealthy family, but the biblical evidence is that he was raised in more of what we would call a middle-class setting. Why do I say that? Well, his earthly father, Joseph, had a construction business. And the word for carpenter in the Greek is more, more than just a carpenter worked with wood. It really means builder. And more than likely, Joseph worked with stones more than he did wood. If you've ever been to Israel, you can't go anywhere without stones. One Bible teacher clarified the family's economic situation by pointing this out. According to historians, construction was flourishing in and around Nazareth of Galilee, Jesus' hometown. That was due to Roman expansion and the area's location near the major east-west-north-south trade routes of that day. So it's likely that Joseph was a good carpenter who took advantage of the many construction opportunities around Nazareth and, with Jesus' help, built a thriving business. And Jesus, as the firstborn son, would have inherited the family business after Joseph died. Now, I know that someone's going to think then, in fact, many may think, then, then why was he born in a lowly manger? If he wasn't so poor, why, why be born in a lowly manger? Well, the answer to that is that it had more to do with the overcrowded conditions in Bethlehem at the time of the census than with the financial status of Joseph and Mary. It said they had, there was no room for them in the inn. It didn't say they didn't have enough money to pay for an inn. And then someone may say, but wait a minute, didn't Jesus say that foxes have, have holes and the birds have nests? but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head? Yes, he did say that. Well, doesn't that indicate then he was essentially homeless? No, it doesn't indicate that at all. What it does indicate is that after he began his itinerant ministry, when he left his home in Nazareth, Christ was dependent upon the, the love and the care and the support of his followers to provide for his needs. 
Doesn't mean he didn't have a home in Nazareth. He left that home and he traveled around and others opened their homes to him, such as his good friend Lazarus with his sisters Mary and Martha. He just enjoyed the hospitality of, of many friends. This is not a whole lot different than in third world countries of traveling itinerant missionaries and preachers and evangelists today. They're just dependent upon others. This is because Christ went into the ministry. He no longer practiced being a carpenter. And you also want to do this. You want to keep in mind that Jesus and his followers certainly had enough surplus money to provide for the needs of others. How do we know that? Well, let's look. Let's turn to John chapter 12. Two things stand out in this passage in John chapter 12 and actually John chapter 13. I want you to see John chapter 12, beginning at verse 3. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Verse 4, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Listen, first of all, understand that they had a money box. Judas was the treasurer. He used to take money out of it, which means they had money in it. Jesus wasn't a beggar. Jesus had money. People supported him. But watch this. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may uh, keep it for the day of my burial. Now watch this. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus made a distinction between the poor and himself. He was not in that classification. He didn't put himself in that category. He said, you always had the poor, and you can give to the poor at any time, but you can't do this for me. In essence, saying that he was not considered the poor. And then in chapter 13, you have even more about this. Chapter 13 Verse 27 says, after the morsel, Satan then entered into him, meaning Judas. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now, no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing because Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have need of, uh, need of for the feast or else that he should give something to the poor. Do you understand? It, it was not out of the ordinary that they would buy things from this uh, the treasury they had or they would give a surplus to the poor. All this is to establish that Jesus was not, not poor. Not poor, more of middle income. So if Jesus did not live at an impoverished level, then in what way did he become Poor. The key to understand what Paul means is found in the phrase in verse 9, yet for your sake. Do you see that? Yet for your sake, he became poor. In other words, Christ's impoverishment had to do with our salvation because we benefited from him becoming poor. This wouldn't be the case, by the way, if it had anything to do with Jesus living a very austere, poor life. His economic status has no redemptive value at all. It doesn't matter whether he was wealthy on earth, middle class, or poor. It would have nothing to do with our salvation. So that's not what Paul is referring to at all. Jesus became poor in this sense when he laid aside the manner of his existence of being in the form of God 
and all of his possessions as God in order to become a man. In simplest terms, Christ became poor in the incarnation when God became a man. That's what Paul's referring to. He gave it all up. He, he, for that time, he gave it all up and, and ceased existing in the form of God and became a man. And the clearest explanation of this is found in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul, Paul clarifies this and expands on this. In verse 6, he says, speaking of Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't hold on to it. He didn't say, I'm not going to earth. I'm not giving it up. There's no way I'm giving this existence up. He, he, he let go. He emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. These verses teach that in becoming a man, Jesus emptied himself. Now, in what way did he empty himself? Never did he empty himself of being God nor did he empty himself of any of the attributes of deity. He may not have always used those attributes. He voluntarily gave the use of those attributes up at times. Other times he used them. But what it does mean is that he gave up all of the, all of the privileges and advantages of being God in order to become a human being. And not just a human being, but Paul says, a bondservant, a slave who actually owned nothing. In other words, when Jesus left his throne in glory, he gave up all of his eternal riches to become a man who essentially owned nothing. Do you realize that Jesus had to even borrow a donkey for his entry into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry? And he borrowed a room for the meeting of the Last Supper. He had to borrow that. And he even borrowed a tomb to be buried in. wasn't family-prepared tomb. It was the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He who created all things gave up all things while on earth. Why? In order to have the ultimate experience of poverty, which is to be made sin on our behalf. He endured hell for us, which is the poverty, folks, of all poverties. There is no greater depth of deprivation than hell. And that's what happened on the cross. Jesus tasted, experienced hell for us. Judgment from God, separation from God. And why did he do this? Why did he do this? Because he was so generous. It's This is the grace of God. And that's what Paul does in telling us about the third aspect of Christ's generosity. He speaks of the riches of Christ, the poverty of Christ, but now our riches through his poverty. The end of verse 9 says this, so that, meaning here's the purpose, here's the reason he did it, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus gave up all the riches of glory to become a man in order that we who were spiritually bankrupt could become spiritually rich. Now, be sure that you understand that, that he's talking, and I, I purposely have said spiritual bankruptcy, and spiritual riches. Jesus did not die so that you and I would have a lot of money. That's a that's a, a message called the prosperity gospel, and that's not the gospel of the Bible. Jesus' death had nothing to do 
with our economic status. Nothing. Nothing. Paul is simply teaching that the purpose of Christ in giving up all that he had to become a man and die for our sins is so that our salvation could make us spiritually rich. I mean, it'd be the same thing that Christ's poverty wasn't economic poverty, so our riches are not economic riches. It's spiritual he's talking about. What are the riches that we possess? What do you possess now if you know Christ? You may not be enjoying these possessions like you should, but you have it. It is everything involved in your salvation. Forgiveness of sins, do you realize that? The riches of forgiveness of sins, peace, joy, love that God has put in your heart, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which Paul said is a down payment for more to come. You have a new nature, a divine nature. You have Christ's righteousness on your account. You have all the spiritual resources at your disposal pertaining to life and godliness, everything you need for life and godliness you've been given. You have the assurance of your salvation. You have spiritual gifts. You have the developments of ongoing developments of Christ-like character and all of the promises of future glory and so much more, so much more. As Paul put it in Ephesians 1, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. I mean, that's just incredible. Now, now it's true. There's a truth that, that the ultimate enjoyment of these riches await us in the future when we're with the Lord. But even now we possess these riches as joint heirs with Christ and you need to enjoy them. You are wealthy. You are spiritually wealthy. And there's more to come. That's why the Holy Spirit has been given as a down payment, a pledge, an assurance that there's more to come. So what have we learned about Christ's grace? We've learned that the riches of Christ have been given up. He gave it all up for the purpose that we might be made spiritually rich. Why is Paul telling us this? I mean, there's wonderful theology. It affirms the deity of Christ. It affirms man's bankruptcy morally and spiritually. But the point of all of this is to teach the Corinthians and to teach the Lake Sidians and every Christian that we ought to be generous. We ought to be generous. As generous as the Macedonians were, Christ's generosity far excels them. With Christ, now watch this, you have the wealthiest becoming the poorest in order to help the poorest become the wealthiest and all at his expense. Folks, that is the grace of God. That is the grace of God. And the point of all of this is to say to us, and this ought to be our conclusion. We ought to look at this and go, wow, if, if Christ did all of this for me, then, then how can I not be generous with him and with his people? How can, I, how can I not do this? If Jesus has been this generous with me, how can I withhold my money to minister to the needs of people within the body of Christ, the church? How can I do that? You can't. Listen, you cannot be a follower of Christ without being generous. You cannot say, I am his disciple. I am a Christian. I am like Jesus. I am walking in his footsteps and not walk in his footsteps of generosity. And that goes not only with money at the the church level, that goes with your possessions and sharing it with others. That goes with an attitude of giving of your time. That goes with an attitude of giving of, of your energy, your abilities, your talents. It's just generosity. It's the grace of God. We have to be generous. And listen, you don't need a law. You don't need a law. We already have an example. 
We already have an example. No one who has experienced the grace of of God and salvation can ever be stingy with others and legitimately do that. I mean, you can be, but that's sin. We owe our salvation to the generosity of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Paul is saying to us, then you must be generous. You must be. Your master is generous. How can you not be? How can you be a follower of Christ and not be generous? And you know what? If you don't know Christ, then you must know that you are spiritually bankrupt. You, you have nothing, nothing that would merit God's favor. And you need only one thing, the one thing that he has provided for you, and that is his righteousness on your account. You need the riches of his righteousness and the forgiveness to go to heaven. If you don't know Christ, understand that, that there's nothing you can do to earn your way there. You can't pay your way into heaven by good works. It is a gift. This is the grace of God. Cry out today and ask God for his mercy to save you. Plead with him to forgive your sins through his son. Let's bow for prayer, and I'm going to give you a few moments to think about this. What what is God saying to you today? What areas of your life do you need to be more generous in? What does God want you to do? This is this is just the 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 way the Holy Spirit works in examining our hearts. Have you been stingy? You're not not a giving person, whether it be in church or with sharing what you have in possessions with others, money, time. We all fight the self-centeredness that's at the core of our being. But God has given us something great to fight that. And that is the example of Christ. Whenever you are thinking about your stinginess, your self-centeredness, think about what Christ has done. Thank God he wasn't cheap with us. He held back nothing in giving us his life, his riches. I'll give you a few moments to think on this, and then I'll close. Father, we say with the Apostle Paul, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to walk by that grace, to not only be saved by it, but to live by grace, to give by grace, to look at needs through the eyes of grace. Father, I thank you on behalf of all of us. Thank you for the marvelous grace. You who are rich in Christ, Lord Jesus, you gave it all up for us. And we who are so poor have nothing You've given us everything. Thank you. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for the marvelous salvation that we have. So the writer to the Hebrews called it, it is so great a salvation. Lord, I pray that in days to come, you work in our lives that we might find tangible proof in our own hearts of graciousness and, and love towards others and your people. Lord, I pray you'll also work in the lives of those who don't know you, that they might see what you've provided, your grace, and they might respond in repentance and faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for your indescribably gracious generosity. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, featuring the expository, or one verse at a time, teaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff, teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. 
If you're in Clearwater and looking for a place to worship, I hope you'll stop in some Sunday to experience a warm welcome and some very practical Bible teaching. If you'd like to visit Lakeside, check online at lakesidechapel.com or call the office at 727-441-1714. That's also the number to call if you'd like to have a free CD with the sermon Pastor Steve just concluded today. Just ask for message number 654, Why Be Generous, Part 2. The phone number again is 727-441-1714. On the other hand, if you want to listen to the individual broadcasts, they are all available on our website, versebyverseradio.org. If you click on the message archive page, you'll find them all there, organized by series title, but with today's broadcast at the very top for your convenience. That's versebyverseradio.org. I'm Jerry Peterson. A few days ago, I shared a quote from A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Here's another one, which is a conversation between miserly Ebenezer Scrooge and the ghost of his old business partner, Jacob Marley. After Marley shares his regrets, Scrooge tells Marley, But you were always such a good man of business. Business, cried the ghost. Mankind was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The deals of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. But he had learned that lesson too late, hadn't he? Next time. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.